right, welcome to the Sweet Tarts of Fighting podcast today. We have Travis McMaster. Welcome, Travis. Good to be here, James. Thanks for having me, brother. All right. Thanks for coming on from the storage room there and <laughs> bringing bring that with you. Actually, our uh, FNC storage. We got flywheels, extra flies, smart speed, oh, GPS. Nice. Yeah, we're, we've actually touched on Exafly on the podcast before. If anyone's interested, go back and listen to John Cronin as well back there. Yeah. But, well, I mean, we've had pretty much the whole AU2 Dam staff and students on this podcast so far, and it's, it's been awesome having having everyone on and catching up. Um, I, I don't know if you remember, you're actually one, probably one of my first lecturers at uni back in like year one with exercise prescription. I don't know if you remember me and Kaz in class way, way, way back. That was like our first, that was like first year uni. That must have been 2009. 2009 or 10 yeah i remember those days brother yeah. <laughs> remember the two meatheads in the front yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we just like all we did was just train but um obviously <laughs> yeah you've been uh you've been coaching for a long long time you got your phd so you want to maybe just give us a brief background about uh, i guess your background what you've been up to obviously with the studies and with the professional coaching yeah, so I've been involved in sports science S&C since whew, 2006, 2005. So it's been a yeah, a bit of a journey involved with multiple sports over the years from went to ECU to my sports science to masters at ECU, which has kind of laid my foundation for like the obsession with sports science and biomechanics and human movement, so that really good program over there in Australia. And that kind of led to moving over to New Zealand to do my PhD with rugby. Um, lots of testing with the All Blacks and Black Ferns. So it was quite a good initiation in the elite sport. You had a lot of access to working with elite athletes while you studied. So, so one thing the Southern Hemisphere does really well is that integration piece, mm. placement co-op piece where they have a yeah. place with elite teams so you can learn in the environment, not just in the books. So they really get applied, right? You know firsthand that New Zealand, yeah. Australia, really good applied sports science S&C platforms, how they, how they build it into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, real good that way. Um, from there, yeah, a bit of a journey back and forth between North America and New Zealand. Obviously, I'm married to a Kiwi. <laughs> my wife's a Kiwi. My kids are Kiwis, so they're New Zealanders. But, uh, yeah, we love both parts of the world, so we'll continue to be nomads. Just uh, we'll find out where this journey takes us. But, yeah, I worked in Whistler <laughs> with the Canadian freestyle ski team leading the Sochi Olympics and then back to NZ did a bit of consulting with super rugby and universities and then kind of lucked out with a job with the ABs and Blackfern 7 so all black 7s and Blackfern 7s as their support SNC sports science combination mm-hmm. so that's kind of what led me into becoming the head SNC with this program as well I had a short stint over in uh Las Vegas with the current Stanley mm. Cup champions so I, uh, well, one year too late. I should have stayed on an extra year. The boys actually brought the cup home, which is was quite good to see this year. Um, yeah, I was their sports scientist um, for the year 2020-2021 with the Golden Knights in Vegas. Just tough pulling a, a coastal girl and her family away from the, the ocean, moving to the desert. So mm-hmm. bit of a balance there in terms of work, life, and how you make that work. And we know everyone that works in elite sport is an SNC or sports scientist. There's actually no such thing in balance. <laughs> oh man! It's just ebb and flow. So making yep. the most of time when you're off and making the most of time when you're at work. So anyone yep. listening that wants to get into SNC, just understand how this job works and how you and your family operate and how the dynamics work in terms of before you actually jump in both feet, brother. That'd be my word of advice for young SNC. 
<laughs> I, I think we're, I think we've all been through the ringer with that. Obviously, moving with my wife to to Romania, taking her out of the states when she just moved here, to, then to Romania, there's there's obviously a challenge in itself, and then we found our way back here. So it's all good in the end. But I think it's interesting because obviously both sports you got ice hockey at the professional level, you've got rugby sevens. I usually say on this podcast, you know, rugby and sevens is is probably the closest thing in terms of physical preparation to combat sports. Yeah, and a lot of similarities and a lot of uh, repeat sprint, repeat power ability stuff. And even with ice hockey, I mean, your guys are on the ice for what, one, two minutes, sprint plays and then back off. Not even, be... bro. 30 seconds to a minute. So it's extremely high anaerobic load. Yeah. Lactate threshold. Like the legs are blowing out each shift. And it's how you Ooh. train them to do that over and over again, right? So, the, like, give them the capacity to repeat that work is that anyone can do it one off, right? The one off sprint yep. that's being able to do it over and over again. Over 82 games, over, you know, so. Yeah, let's big, start uh, there. Let's start yeah, there. How, how, how are we, okay. It's a general loaded question because it can go anywhere, but how are you developing that ability to repeat those 30 to 60 second bursts? Because obviously that, that's still applicable within combat sports. You need to be able to do that within, whether you're striking MMA or grappling. So yeah, yeah how, so how are you going about that? Before, before we even look at repeating that, it's do they have, where is their initial cap capacity at from a, pure output point of view right from that top of the curve that phosphate creatine where's their max output mm -hmm. and if that's nowhere where we need it to be then we have to look at why is it strength is it force is it what is their weakness in that area to bring that power capacity up and then from there once we have a level of capacity how do we repeat that over and over again to maintain yeah. within 10 percent of that so initially we need to build a foundation base for everything this i think this goes for every every um, attribute you're looking to build right so you need that strong strength aerobic foundation to build from so from both ends of spectrum thinking strength thinking aerobic you need those base to be able to tolerate the load that you're going to give the athlete so mm -hmm. first thing is get that foundation and once you have that foundation then you can start to build that individual capacity in terms of um, anaerobic work repeat speed and obviously we periodize it throughout the season um, to give you an example, in rugby, we start being a work from general. So we work from mm -hmm. doing it r running and on a walk bike where it's very controlled on how we shift yeah. the shift the curve, shift the anaerobic output. So example be 15-second effort, 45-second rest. Repeat that eight times. See the drop-off. Yep. See the mean power drop-off. And then you can start to train it from there on terms of their, their output. Um, okay. And then we transfer it to the field. So how we build it into rugby. So we start with obviously down ups and changing directions um, where they're working for those same work to rest ratios. So it's either a one to three or one to six, depending on what we're looking to build there in terms of capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and then we move it and apply it into rugby where they do it in contact, do it in the small sided game. And then we build it from, we call it from control to chaos. If you've read any stuff about Matt Taverner in terms of, it's more of a return to play thing, but you can use the yeah. same concept from a physical attribute and how you apply it to a game or the sport you're with, right? So how you will build a combat athlete to handle, what, five three-minute rounds, mm -hmm. how you would build that capacity in a general and then into specific, into the fighting context as well. So, Okay. Do you, do you want to dive a little bit into that foundational side? Obviously, you mentioned, okay, you've got the strength side, the aerobic side you're trying to build first. That, that eight by... 15 seconds on, 45 seconds off. Is that is that kind of like the general test you're using then to see the drop-off? 45 seconds off. That would be that'd be an anaerobic stimulus. So we'll do repeated yeah. power test where we do 
Um, we do seven second sprints and go every thirty seconds for ten. Okay, that's your. And you look gotcha. for drop off. <laughs> so that's on a that's on a watt bike generally. It's easy yeah. to control. It's easy to focus on the lower body there. Um, mm-hmm. You could do it on other equipment as well if you you found the right right piece. Right, you could do it on a salt bike if you want. It just depends on the consistency of your methods and profiling. Right. Yeah. Okay, that and makes then sense. we'll have an in on field test, which is the same thing. The repeat efforts with contact be like shuttles with contact, and we still look at mm-hmm. the drop off in terms of their output. Gotcha. Okay. And the same work to, and the same work to rest, but it's applied to the field, not just on a bike. Yeah. So it's a lit a bit less stable and standardized than the bike, but it's the next closest thing to the, the next game. Step. Yeah, the next step in my in our mind. Nice. And, and then and you look diving. at oh, you, no, you, you go, go ahead. you go. No, then you look at their their profile from there. So what's their peak? What's their drop off or decay over that time? And try to shift both. So if their peak output's too low, you need to shift that up individually. Yeah. And then and if their decay is too large, you have to work on that repeat effort. I'm bringing that up so there's a less less of a drop off in terms of their output over Perfect. time. We'll dive into that. And just a sec, obviously someone just commented, G, saying thanks for the podcast and informational videos. Keep up the good work. This information is gold as someone who is training in MMA. Thank you very much, G. And for anyone listening to this recorded, make sure you jump on these live. They're scheduled on YouTube. But Travis, for the you mentioned obviously someone might have a low output or someone might have a hard drop-off and you're trying to kind of balance that, bring both those sides up. How are you how are you targeting the output side to improve that? And then how are you targeting the guess capacity side to reduce the drop-off? Yeah, so we'll target the output side in not a separate session, but we always do the output side first. So when you're freshest, you need to train the output. And you got to get those work-to-rest ratios out, correct, so that output is always high. You don't want them mm-hmm. to be done under fatigue if you're working on shifting an output. Yeah. So it's when you're doing any – any. this goes for any power rep, if you think. If you're doing jumps, you make sure you have adequate rest in between your sets so that output remains high. And you monitor that output on – a walk bike or with your velocity with your gym or tendo units depending on what equipment have what movement you're doing um but typically we go no no more than uh or no less than two to three minutes rest depending on the output the output might only be for three to seven seconds but that rest has to be a large chunk of that so like a one to ten even work to rest a one to twelve even so they're fully recovered and you can shift that by auto-regulation. You look, if the output's not recovering, you have longer rest than next set. If you, I don't know if our listeners understand what I mean by that, but if auto-regulation is if you're looking at a power output, say they can produce 1,000 watts, next set they only produce 850, you might have a higher rest period the next before that third set so they can get back to that, mm. within that 5% range of their max, if you will, when you're trying to train. This is where you're trying to train pure output. You want the muscle not to be under fatigue. Yeah. And a lot of those cardio machines display watts or power, like rowing machines. A lot of spin bikes also display that too. So you can kind of measure that. And then you want to stay within, try and stay within 5% of that for your three to seven second sprints. Correct. You want to stay within that upper range. Otherwise, you're defeating purpose. You're starting to train different system here. You're starting to train that repeated sprint ability when you actually really want to just focus on maximum, producing a maximum output. Nice. And then with, with the capacity, then how are you developing that? Is, Is there much emphasis on developing that lo- or spending time in that low intensity quote-unquote aerobic zone or zone two that a lot of people are talking about or yeah, made we do a lot right of now. that we do a lot of zone two at the end of a day so it'd be 30 anywhere from 30 60 minutes depending on the week in zone two um 
on a bike, on a rower. It's off feet, so we have enough running load as it is our athletes. So it's mm-hmm. always that extra zone two stuff is always an off feet load for us. So we do a lot of conditioning on the field that's interval based, like high intensity interval based, where yeah. this O2 stuff is at the end of a day where you can train that cardio system under fatigue. It's okay to be have two sessions in and actually focus on that cardio system. We'll do uh, sustained um, O2 and we'll do nasal breathing as well. We'll do intermittent mm-hmm. nasal breathing and long sustained nasal breathing to help with that CO2 tolerance. So it basically just helps you body utilize oxygen better. So how can your body function with less oxygen in your system as well? So it helps you create a more efficient energy system, if you will, more efficient aerobic energy system. And on all our off days, we have a minimum 30 minutes um, of zone two in that day. So if every off day they have to do that to, and this is currently mm. in the preseason phase, they maintain all these and we're trying to push that system up in season. It's a bit different story, but right now, we're pushing that foundation phase right now with all our athletes in terms of strength and aerobic capacity, regardless of their age right now, we're just trying to shift everyone up to a place. Mm. So when the season starts, we're in a really good place. Our bodies are reconditioned. We're resilient so we can attack the year and stay healthy and robust throughout the season. Nice. So I got this from head SNC in Vegas, Doug Davidson. He's a, um, a genius in terms of exercise physiology. So I recommend him for your podcast. Yes, but he's, uh, he's where I got all this zone two stuff and all the ideas from on training that, that system to tolerate an 82 game hockey season or, or to shift that um, base up high enough. So you're recovering really quickly between your sets and reps and rounds in boxing or MMA. Right. So mm-hmm. having that base will allow you to recover quicker between rounds as well. Awesome. So, so then how, yeah, how does long, that... it's boring, but athletes yep. just suck it up. You're a professional athlete, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. And then how does that change as you get closer to, to a season? Obviously, we talked about, okay, you might be off the bike and stuff, and you might be doing more stuff on the field. But does obviously, you're not going to be doing maybe the same volume of that zone two stuff. So what are you doing then to improve capacity as you get closer to the season and then likely throughout the season? Yeah, so when we get close to the season, we – a lot of our conditioning falls into small-sided games. That's where you're playing games on a field for our listeners or games on a court um, to train the energy system, to train the work-to-rest ratios, to train the ball and plays for the game specific. So are we meeting the demands of rugby, the demands of a, a game, a half, a set in rugby? So that's kind of how we shift from that control to chaos in terms of prepping them for the season. Um, all that zone two stuff will be done at the end of a day. Still, we'll still do three times a week zone two, okay. say at 4 PM, everyone will be on a bike, slow, steady heart rate monitor up and, uh, just, um, tracking that if they can't maintain their heart rate in a certain zone. You either decrease or increase the cadence from there with that athlete. I hope you're enjoying the chat so far. Before we get back to that, I just want to let you know that Sweet Science of Fighting is more than just a podcast. We have a full training app with strength conditioning programs for strikers, grapplers, and MMA athletes, so you don't have to think about what you're doing and you're getting access to the latest scientific methods to improve combat sports performance. We have programs specifically for judo, for jiu-jitsu, for wrestling, MMA, boxing, Muay Thai is coming soon. All these things are going to be in the training app. We also have a private community where some of the coaches that have been on the podcast are in there to help you with any training questions 
and any performance questions you have, for example, Andrew Usher and Casper DeVitt. We also have some online courses within the training app that cover strength, conditioning, mental skills, and weight cutting. And finally, we now have Ryan Villalobos in the community, a second degree jiu-jitsu black belt, who is there to break down any of your grappling matches that you want seen to by a second eye. He's currently breaking down videos on a separate Sweet Science of Fighting YouTube channel, and he will break down your video within the community. So if you have a match or a role that you just recorded, you can upload that in there and Ryan will break that down for you. So what are you waiting for? Jump down in the description. You can check out the Sweet Science of Fighting Underground. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast. Gotcha. So how are you... How are you then manipulating the the small sided games for the other? Because I think a lot of people they come they come into various. It doesn't matter what sport. It could be combat sports, three minute rounds. It could be seven, seven minute halves. Okay, that means everything we do in this phase is going to be three minute rounds or seven minute halves. It doesn't matter. So how are you manipulating that time period when you're looking at small sided games? Are you looking at, for example, um, intensity through GPS and trying to I don't know exceed game values through certain time periods or anything like that? So yeah, big open-ended question in terms of small-sided yeah. games. Yeah. <laughs> we could go anywhere with this, but let's look at how we do it to prepare for a game of sevens or a tournament. So there's mm-hmm. a tournament on a weekend. You play six games in a weekend. There's approximately 50 minutes ball in play in that weekend of high-density work where the ball is actually in play. Mm-hmm. So we structure, say, a training week off a percentage of that and training sessions off a percentage of that. So within a small-sided game, we might have Let's say on a Monday, we might have 10 minutes ball and play where it's high density work for 10 minutes. And that is split in two five minute halves where that mm-hmm. ball and play is five minutes each. And then on a Wednesday, we might have 15 minutes ball and play, might be split three blocks of five minutes. Mm-hmm. And from there, after we, so we, we get our week, we might, the whole week might be 70% of our tournament max in terms of ball and play. And that's high density work because um, in the game of sevens, there's no rest once that ball's <laughs> in. So mm-hmm. a lot of high density work. And how we manipulate, let's say the volume, the density, intensity within that drill is field size, player number, and then work to rest ratio. So I might say the coach is, all right, there's 60 seconds ball and play, 30 seconds rest within this set. So they're letting the ball fly for 60 seconds. They're given 30 seconds rest within that block. So within that Mm. set, that's the work to rest. And we start to bridge that gap. We call it it best-case scenario. But it's most teams' yeah. worst case scenario. So the <laughs> yeah. longest phase of ball and play might be three minutes we've ever experienced. We yeah. want to take teams to that level so we can fatigue them and score tries. So we want to be able to function at the two to three minutes of ball and play. So we have to take our athletes there progressively and safely. So we'll start with the lower ball and play periods in say week one. And by week six, we're up to that three, two, three minutes ball and play for a single bet. So that's kind of yeah. when you think of a pure linear progression, that'd be the easiest way to explain it right now is how we get them to that place from, say, 50 percent to 100 percent over the span of six weeks. Obviously, you could go in a lot more detail. I don't want to give all the secrets away in case the Argentinians <laughs> are listening. <laughs> no, fair enough. But yeah, you know what... That's how we progress and structure our high density work is based off the mm. tournament's ball and play based off the work, based off the distance, the high-speed running, the high-intensity accelerations are the main metrics we work off of in terms of um, preparing athletes for the game of rugby. Nice. And if anyone listening is like, okay, how does this relate to them as a common athlete? I mean, you could do the same thing within, for example, boxing, MMA, a smaller cage or a, or a bigger cage or ring will dictate how much action's going on. You can do the same. For example, 60 seconds uh, work with 30 seconds rest within sparring. 
as just as an example of a work to rest, that can be a way to increase the intensity of some of your sparring sessions versus just three or five minute rounds. So these are just things that maybe uh, as the audience can potentially think about in terms of their own training. I mean, you can even go as far as potentially analyzing some of your fights and looking at actually how much yeah. action is actually going on at certain times. That takes a, another level of dedication as well. But yeah, you could look at your work rate, your highest work rate, and say twenty second blocks. We'll do that in our rugby. So we'll look at mm. the game and we'll look at a, the highest intensity in twenty second blocks. It'll chunk into twenty and see where your highest work rates are. And hey, how do we replicate this? So how can we main this, maintain this 20 seconds for three minutes to suffocate our opponents or suffocate mm. the opposition? So I guess a, a good, uh, give me an example. Who'd be a good example who suffocates their opponents in MMA? Khabib. Yeah. <laughs> Khabib Nogomedov. Uh, what's the other guy's name now? It's um, coming up. Makachev. Makachev. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the idea of having a higher work rate to actually destroy your opponents that they can't handle or keep up with. Mm. And um, in the All Black Sevens, it's always been a high work rate, high work environment. So that's the point of difference for us against many other teams is their ability, their work ethic and work rate when other teams fatigue. Mm. So that more comes down to mindset than my actual training in a sense. It's their mindset versus the other team's mindset. Yeah, we're both fucked. We're both tired, but we're going to play hard. <laughs> we're going to keep going. So it's what you do in the dark, right? How you, our coach always says, how you play, how you find the light in the dark places. So, um, mm. our head coach Tomasi Thama is a uh, a big on that, on how the boys will find a way. We call it, just find a way. And uh, if you need help, your teammates are right there to support you. So just find a way. Nice. And, yeah. and just for my own own selfish learning. So, <clears throat> so we did the similar best case or worst case scenario with Romania rugby and we'll do say two three minute game blocks above a certain at that time certain our peak meters per minute against our one of the fastest games but how did you keep that uh that three minute block going did you just keep throwing a ball into play for the players to scramble to have, say the ball was dropped or the ball went out of play and then you yeah, just the have coach to keep, be in keep there going? the coach would be refing and he'd just keep it live the ball went out he'd yeah. throw the ball to the other team okay, yeah, perfect. or he'd blow yeah. a whistle make up a penalty and turn it over so the other team had to keep yeah. working so he just the coach kept the game flowing because that's what yeah. we wanted. So they were all constantly under pressure and they couldn't rest. But yeah, you could kick the touch and rest, but it defeats the purpose of the drill, yeah. of the conditioning drill. So yeah, the coach would always keep the ball alive so the players would have to work the whole time. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I just had to I just had to And obviously say it was similar. <clears throat> we understand your 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 output's gonna drop over that three minutes. It's a t yeah. impossible not to, but it's how do how can we um, create a situation where the players have to adapt and perform under fatigue. Yeah. Which is basically the main thing for us. Not perfect. And obviously within sevens, you, you play pretty regularly and obviously you play longer tournaments within the NHL. I mean, you're playing stupid regular games within the NHL. So, so the main how do you, how you, yeah, oh, yeah, you go. The main difference NHL versus sevens is that sevens is a tournament format. You have four weeks to prepare for every tournament. So you have this nice, even, you know, peaking formation in terms of your periodized plan. You can periodize really well for sevens because you might play one tournament a month. So you come mm -hmm. up, you deload, you recover, you come up, you peak, you deload. So you can get a really good rhythm and flow. You can also get a good rhythm and flow in an 82-game season. You just have to focus a lot more on the microdosing side of things mm -hmm. in, uh, when you have an 82-game season, meaning you might be doing a 20-30 minute lift after a game after practice at the end of the day so you get you maintain the strength and power throughout the season so you have these pockets where you're going to microdose two or three times a week your strength movements 
Um, when you have a long season and you have to play constantly. So that's mm-hmm. the main difference in sevens. We can fully deload for a week and then start to yeah. ramp up again and peak for a tournament. Fully deload, recover, peak for a tournament. So that's the main difference between our the rugby format and an NHL or American North American model of pro sport. <laughs> yeah. A lot of games um, to combat with. Nice. And, and let's start with that. In combat sport, peaking for that yeah. event. You have a big camp to build your body up to peak mm-hmm. for that event. So you, you have the time to build it up, which is yeah, a good but thing. But even have. um, even some combat sports like like grapplers, some grapplers will compete very very often just because. Oh yeah. Yeah, it can beat you up, but you're not taking head knocks and stuff. So you, some will compete almost every weekend, every couple of weeks, every month. So I think mm. a lot of this is still applicable for a lot of uh, fighters as well. I mean, there's even some MMA athletes that will compete very often or might compete MMA then grappling, etc. So maybe let's start with the sevens format every four weeks as an example. How does your SNC change uh, after a tournament? And then throughout that period leading up to the next one. Yeah, so post-tournament, it's all about um, getting that body back to homeostasis, fully recovered and regenerated as, as quick as possible. So from right after the game's finished, what we do from recovery point of view in terms of get your protein in, get your ice bath done, get your meal in so you can recover. I'll talk even within a tournament. So we make sure you do things... It's not rocket science. You just got to nail your nutrition and nail your process in terms of your recovery so you can go again, go again, go again. So it's, it's the faster you do that, the quicker your bodies are going to recover. So it might be protein, creatine, ice, rest, repeat as an example for our guys in terms of mm-hmm. rugby context. Well, ice, all tournament, and then yeah. after tournament, I'll let the inflammation come. Because you want that body eventually to inflame to fully recover, right? So we're just trying, with ice, we're just trying to stop the inflammation the whole weekend so yeah. it doesn't actually happen. And at the end of the tournament, we'll let it let the body inflame, let it go through the natural process of adapting to the contact and running and muscle damage. So there's a lot of research out there. I won't get into the science. You probably, you already know the science with me in terms of contrast, ice bath. Should we ice bath? Should we not ice bath? There's still a huge debate on the pros mm-hmm. and cons to it. So we still ice, big training days, but we'll still let that inflammation come on when we have time to let the yeah. body recover like that week after. So that week after, we'll come down, have a medical check-in with each athlete. We'll flush the next day we get home so we get the bodies moving. We flush out all the ner- the toxins and chemicals so we can actually get the body to a good place to be able to train the week after that. So if we do nothing that whole week, the boys come back slow and sluggish if we that second week. So we yeah. found if we come in early, just do the work, flush the body, maybe get a little low upper body hit in and train on the Thursday or Friday that week, just a light skill session, just to get our hands on the ball, get moving. And then by that Monday, we're fully recovered to go again. And we're not feeling sluggish. We're feeling refreshed and ready to go. Hmm. So that's one of the big shifts we made last year in terms of preparation making sure that we recover right that week after just sort of taking the whole week off. So we make sure we nail those from a recovery process. Then we start to rebuild. Um, I won't give you the exact weeks, but then we'll start to rebuild from say 65% load, 75% load, 85% load, and then tournament. You know, that's the idea of the model in terms of peaking. And then we'll drop right down to a 25% load and do the whole process over again. Mm -hmm. And obviously within a season, our, our goal is to help retain, maintain strength and power, and even to improve it if we can. So how mm. can we shift these capabilities up as well in terms of strength? I hate using the word power. 
I'll use <laughs> I'll use strength, force, and velocity, and how we can keep these c- components high. So we want the athletes to be able to produce a high amount of force throughout the whole season and to run fast all year. And how we do that is built into our training program. So of acceleration work rate days, and we'll have high speed open field days. We're focusing on those different attributes for the athlete mm-hmm. as we move through the year. And obviously, we'll progress the sets and reps based on our periodized model in terms of increasing and decreasing those outputs throughout the year to get the best out of our athletes. Nice. But a big one for us is run fast often and maintain post-year strength. Real good mitigator mm-hmm. of injury for us because the hamstring is the biggest injured muscle yeah. in rugby. I'm not sure in MMA what is it. A, I don't know if it's groin because hockey was groin. I'm not sure MMA what the key muscle. Well, a lot of it's like more contact injury. MMA, but oh, yeah, shoulders, shoulders knees, ankles, the usual oh, yeah. stuff. Now, ours are more soft tissue from overexerting themselves. A sprint or multiple sprints. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess, so you've got that model within sevens. Yeah. And then you've also got within hockey, you've got that every few days almost. So there's, every three days, let's say you're playing a game dude, every three I can't, days. That's so nuts, man. I can't believe they do that. <laughs> but um, for, I mean, there, there are probably some, some combat, combat athletes that compete every week. You know, it's an intense thing to do and they have to still manage themselves through that. So, how are you? I mean, obviously, the game itself is like is the strength conditioning stimulus a lot of the time in that. And that it's a conditioning area, but, stimulus in a sense. Yeah, it is yeah. the stimulus. It's not the strength stimulus, but it is, it is a yeah. conditioning stimulus, right? So and then, how do you maintain the rest of it? Any sport, you look at the athlete's load on ice. If it was a super low load and it's not maintaining their capacity, they need something extra on top of that. Mm. Like when you used to work with rugby, you'd have guys that played low minutes. They need a top up after yeah. to make sure they're maintaining that level of conditioning. Yeah. Um, from a strength point of view, we have you basically have three days. You'll have a practice day, game day, off day. Beat the process. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, crazy. There's no such thing as an off day. So off day is basically recovery day, that medical day where they come in and get their bodies right so they can practice the next day to get ready to play the third day. So those Jeez. are basically the three days in uh, North America or in, in the NHL. So. Medical day, you won't lift. You might do a flush. Practice day, you might do a, a power session on the practice day, like mm-hmm. a, a more explosive session. Then on game day, after the game, you'll do a strength microdose. And that's kind of the cycle throughout the season. So it might Damn. be a push, pull, lower body. You have those strength lifts to, to maintain or develop strength. And it'll be 30 minutes after a game to develop those priorities. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, so, that's the model. <laughs> that is the model, brother. <laughs> That's so nuts. It's same, it's same in NBA, obviously, because you've got pretty much the same schedule within the NBA, the MLB, same schedule, basically. It's unbelievable that that's, that's just that's the way. I just don't understand. And even short, you get short preseasons as well, right? Yeah, really short preseasons, like uh, three weeks. <laughs> three weeks. And then the, the uh, off-season is where you can make games. It's just you have to take advantage of it. That's where, yeah. you, get your, that's where you build that foundation of capacity for the season. Right. So, but do you, do you have contact with the athletes? Pardon me? Do you have contact with the athletes in that time? Because some players' associations don't allow that, right? Or Yeah, they so do? in the NHL, um, some of the athletes have their own entity. They'll have their own SNCs, their own physios, their own chiropractors yeah. in the off-season, and they'll go train at home with their guy for, say, two months or six weeks in the off-season. So I'd say half the team probably had their own guys, and the other half would come in and train with us, the SNC and myself, and we prepare them 
before the season. We build up a foundation over that. So you have a really good block where you can improve that individual's weaknesses or needs as well as build that strength and aerobic foundation for them to tolerate the demands of that season. Nice. So those and are then, the two different models I've worked with. Yeah, it's mm. quite, quite a different world. You just got to get your head wrapped around both of them if you want to <laughs> work in those environments. Yeah, sounds damn nuts. But I wanted yeah. to come back to, I know you mentioned you don't like the, don't like the word power, but I'm going to use it just for the ease of the audience. But we could just say velocity under low power, and moderate you know. loads. <laughs> but I'll how, yeah. yeah. Now I was going to say, um, how, what are some ways you'd like to develop just lower and upper body or full body power within, yeah. I guess, combat collision, whatever athletes there? Because obviously – Hockey, high power output demands, same with sevens and rugby. So are there any go-to things you'd like to use, do, protocols, et cetera? Very general, but. Yeah, definitely. So obviously plyos is the main one we use to develop power. Plyos and throw and shit, right? So, <laughs> so throw implements and do plyos. And then in terms of that, we just you can change the tempo, change the rhythm of those movements to focus on different areas and decrease or increase the intensity. So what I mean by that, you can focus on where you're just trying to develop maximum jump height or maximum output at a peak, so maximum net impulse, if you will, where you're going mm -hmm. through the range of motion, not necessarily explosively as possible, but your goal is to maximize height of the movement. Mm -hmm. So that would be more the optimal power, if you will, if you're thinking that from that point of view. And some other instances, we want to develop rate of force. We're trying to decelerate really quickly and explode really quickly where you need to react to something. So that's an, obviously in any team sport you or any combat sport physical sport you need that reactive ability so mm -hmm. developing that is different than producing a maximum output if you will mm -hmm. so ways we do that is to squeeze up that stretch shortening cycle in terms of drop jumps reactive and try to minimize the ground top contact time and maximize the height we do that in all different directions so initially we'll do it just vertically to train yeah. the musculature and tendons and uh reaction times and nervous system to be able to do that and then we'll start to apply it in other planes where it's a lateral cut, it's a forward movement, it's a 505 stop start, or it's a Y agility, or it's uh, reacting to a defender or a color to actually create that stimulus where you have to react quickly. So it mm -hmm. still comes to that continuum. We'll build different capacities on where they are throughout the year. Moving from a more power-based performance to a more higher rate of force, higher intensity stretch shortening cycle movement this is more applied to rugby context if you're thinking in that environment so how we manipulate those variables so we'll move from loaded loaded jumps or loaded explosive movements that are quite heavy where it's the force dominant action yeah more explosive even assisted movements where we're pulling that athlete to move them faster than they're actually used to or more explosively than they're actually used to moving so that'd be the continuum you're trying to work off of so example would be Here's the athlete weighs 225 pounds. He's jumping with 225 pounds on his back. That's the mm -hmm. high end of the force to yep. that athlete's jumping with bands above him, making him 50% less than he actually weighs to make him more explosive in the vertical direction. Mm -hmm. And then, nice. like I said, you can change the, the contractile components, eccentric, concentric components of how fast we want to do those sequences yep. um, based on our progressions. Um, hope we understand. Does, um, I know I'm talking pretty fast here. I'm a bit obsessed with biomechanics and that type of movement. <laughs> um, Since I manipulate how quickly you dip down and then jump, so you can go 
slower down and up or you can go very fast down and up if, if we yeah. want to put it very very simply but does obviously you mentioned there you start okay more on the force side of that quote-unquote power spectrum and then move to the more velocity yeah. side does Correct. the do, does uh an individual force velocity profile ever play a part in in that does that change at all depending on the athlete or do all your guys come in okay they all start force and move towards velocity as you get towards the season so they all start with a strength, heavy strength movement um, based on where they are in terms of maximum strength output. But more complex, either um, high force or high velocity, depending on where that athlete is on the spectrum. Okay. So, for, for example, they'll do all do, say, 80% 1RM squat that day or deadlift or split squat. And then their complex will be a jump with either 50 kgs no load or assisted, depending on what their mm, output's going okay. to be in terms of the complex. And then that'll transfer to on our horizontal day, they'll all do a super heavy sled complex with some sort of jump. Could be halter jump where there are dumbbells in yeah. their hand, or it could be assisted where it's pulling them forward in terms of their, their output. So these are different ways we complex it. We also complex our, our with tackling. As well, we'll do a heavy lift followed by tackles mm-hmm. into pads, into bags, or scrub machines, depending on if we're looking for high force or high velocity in terms of that mm-hmm. that contact point of view. So we'll complex that as well. The closer we get to the season, we'll start to add in more of that rugby stuff in the gym. So a lot yeah. of teams, don't be afraid to add your sport, bring your sport to the gym. For so sure. For all S&C coaches, you can always complex um, the movement patterns you need in the ring or in the on the field with your strength movements. You can complex the skill components, the technical components as well. So we'll complex passing even with a rugby mm. ball or med ball within the gym session to help, help get more touches and get that athlete better at that movement pattern within the gym environment. And it won't take away from the strength movement because it's that complex. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we, we, did, we did the same. Sport-specific movement pattern. Yeah, we did the same in, in rugby. We we did a few oh, experiments with a few different things like upper body pressing with like fins. I had yeah. a, a scrum, a scrum complex that was like an ISO scrum push into like a banded like scrum. I don't know what you'll call it. Almost like a launch, yeah. um, launch out into the pads and things like that. Um, launch, launching medicine ball throws. I mean, for combat athletes, anyone listening, you can, you can superset like your squats with medicine ball punch throws, rotational mm. throws, um, kicks, roundhouse kicks against the heavy bag, uh, double leg, double leg shots, all those kind of things can be used to complex with your strength movements or, or power movements, and you can potentially see transfer over because you get that potentiation effect from one. You can start doing your movements. You, you should feel a little more explosive doing it, and potentially carry that over to your actual technical training too. What Travis is saying, yeah. Um, and I wanted to also, I actually wanted to ask you about optimal optimal power load. Uh, for the listeners, the, just the, the combat acid listening, that might sound like a, bit, a little bit of gibberish, but essentially it's the load that maximizes power output when you're performing a task. So for example, a jump, you might jump over various loads and one certain load will maximize power output. Do you, do you subscribe to the idea that you should train at optimal power load to maximize power development? Or are you more over, I mean, you've pretty much already said you like strain over the spectrum, but just in general. We strain, we strain on polar, we're almost more polarized training <laughs> in the way we train. We train both extreme ends of the spectrum generally. So we'll train the high force end and the high velocity end of the spectrum in terms of what we want the athlete to be able to do in the game. So what is what he's, you're explaining in terms of 
at a given load, you produce a force and a velocity and that the combination of the product of those two makes the peak power. But usually that peak power occurs at a moderate velocity and a moderate load. Yeah. Where we don't want the athletes to operate in the middle. We want them operating at extreme force and extreme velocity in terms mm. of um, an output point of view. So this is the main reason we train the ends of the spectrum, both ends of the spectrum. Yes, there's a place for optimal power, but we, we look at producing more force or more velocity in our movements. Hey guys, it's me again. I just want to let you know that I also have Sweet Science of Fighting rash guards and shorts. So you can represent Sweet Science of Fighting on the mats and within competition. We have the classic, just like the shirt I'm wearing, rash guard, Sweet Science of Fighting on the front. And we have the logos on the sleeves and then X Marsh on the back. We also have that in a shorts variation. Same thing with the Sweet Science of Fighting writing on one leg. And we have the logo on the other, but my personal favorite, this is my personal favorite part. We have this in black and white, and it is the Tani Fark Protector Guardian version of the Sweet Science of Fighting logo on the back. This was designed by a Māori designer back in New Zealand. So a bit of my heritage on this jersey. It represents the acknowledgement of battle and war. It also represents strength and stability, and also has the New Zealand silver fern. But even if you're not a Kiwi, cop this this is an awesome design it is a custom made design you will not find it anywhere else so check that that'll also be down in the description with a discount code but back to the podcast awesome uh, do, do olympic lifts play any part in your in your training program yes sir we uh we got we all clean we all power clean we push press we jerk so um, if they can't clean or push press or they can't clean because of shoulders, some rugby players have really making messed up shoulders. So they either, mm -hmm. they'll do a variations that will high pull or will counter move and jump with a load on their back, which can mimic the same movement capabilities of that. But yeah, we'll power clean within our cycle. Well, push press is a main movement in rugby. Got to be able to lift overhead relatively yeah. explosively. So yeah, we'll, we'll complex those in, um, into our training. So those be the main two we actually do in terms of, the variations of the Olympic lifts. We don't snatch, but we're overhead, overhead squat or overhead lunge. Mm -hmm. um, we used to snatch, we had too many shoulder issues, but now we do it under control condition. So if we're looking for triple extension, we're doing either jumps or cleans to get that that high force and triple extension and that eccentric catch. We, we yeah. like to look at that component while being able to accelerate that load as you catch it. So you can do it off a jump or you can do it off a clean where you have to absorb the load. I just like the rhythm of a clean. Once the athletes get the technique, it has a really nice rhythm in terms of triple mm. extension, um, transfer, and catch under. It's a really good rhythm in terms of that concentric, eccentric coupling, in my mind, to get the, the movement pattern. And I find the guys that get really good at clean, they all become our best tacklers. They can all produce mm. the most force in that horizontal plane. We haven't run a correlation, but when you look at our, our best cleaners, they're usually our best tacklers. There you go for all the grapplers and wrestlers listening. Get good at your so, power cleans, hand cleans, whatever it is, and you'll be shooting massive double legs in, in load, no time. It's very important. That's <laughs> yeah. it, like a lot of guys will just do the concentric component, but you're missing the vital aspect of being able to absorb. So, right, mm. when you think of two things you have to be able to do in sport, you have to be able to produce force and absorb force. Those are the two main things you have to be able to do effectively to mm -hmm. win over your opponent or opponents. Nice. Da are you, obviously, you, you showed an Exafly flywheel thing in your little storage room. Are you, are you using that quite often with the players? Yeah, we just started this off season. Actually, we just got them in. 
We used to use it nice. quite a bit um, previously, but they disappeared. So I bought a whole new stack in the off season. <laughs> but yeah, we use it regularly for um, a lot of single leg work. We actually do on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of single leg squatting where they have to get a rhythm and be able to su- control that eccentric load. Yeah. Um, we also do it with uh, rotation. It's quite good for that rotation and that counter. Right? Oh, yeah, that, it's brutal, eh? Yeah, trying <laughs> to control that load on the way back. So that's basically like fighting your opponent, right? So how, yeah. do, you con- how do you fight that opponent from pulling you back, right, or, pull- or flipping you over or tackling you? So I find it really good for that rotational movement and really good for, like, squat pattern type lifts as well. So that's what mm-hmm. we've explored at the moment, just those two movements. I'm sure there's a lot more we can do with it, but... Those are the yeah. main movements we've done. Bilateral, unilateral squat patterns, and then that rotational movement's been really good for us. Nice. Yeah, because yeah. uh, the the co-owner of XFly, he lived like the suburb over from me in New Zealand, so he gave us his XFly to use for until like for the, the year until we were leaving to come to the States, and I had a good play around with a whole bunch of stuff on there. It's nice. You, you don't get that huge soreness that you would if you were doing huge eccentric loading, even though you're doing massive eccentric loading, which is really, really nice. And that rotational stuff, dude, that is like another level on the trunk when you're trying that, to resist that. I find that rips our guys up, though. Like, you dude, get sore. Like, you don't hard. get sore from the squat, but you get sore from resisting that rotation. It's so hard. Yeah. No, it's yeah, had so- a really good effect on our boys, that one, so start to use that more in this offseason i haven't haven't brought it out for most of them yet because i want to save that for our next block i just want to get that Mm. foundation where we're just moving through range of motion with basically free weights just to get them moving correctly again it's been a long offseason for the lads so (laughs) um we kind of gave them it because they won the world series they had their best year in years they're very consistent i think we won four or five tournaments in a row so like boys take the rest we'll build up we got 50 weeks to the olympics so let's just let the bodies heal yeah. here and we'll, we'll come back better nice yeah that that if anyone's interested in seeing if you just search like rotational flywheel if you just search rotation flywheel something like that exercise you'll probably find something but it's yeah if you have the opportunity <laughs> to use one and do some rotation on it yeah it's, it's another level it's nothing like a cable or a band that you just can't replicate it without without the flywheel and it's it's awesome and remember and, the faster oh, you move that that wheel the faster it's pulling you back yeah that's that's the problem and then you're just like sitting there trying to resist that thing on the way back or you add the eccentric motor on top and give it the old 10 percent boost and then uh you're you're going for a ride with it because that thing just pulls damn hard it's i tried i actually did the um the eccentric boost doing hip thrusts so it was like 10 percent extra on that was that was actually pretty legit because the Obviously, with the hip thrust of the bar, as as you sink lower, you don't keep that same tension. But when nah, that thing's pulling easy, on you yeah. all the way down, that eccentric load, that's really, really nice. So that's something I played around with there as well. That That's yeah, interesting with, with the flywheel. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And when you mentioned about the rotational stuff too, um, it was oh, many seven, six, seven years ago when I, was, when I was here in Austin, I was playing around with, with the 1080 Quantum. And I tried the same thing the rotation so they had like an isokinetic setting basically so it was it was the same speed for anyone listening and yeah. i would it was a tether and we wrapped it around a light heavy bag and i would grab it and i would rotate it out and then it would pull me back eccentrically at like four whatever i think it was like 40 kilos of force and then i'd pull it and then i would have to resist it all the way back with with um with the pulling me and i did the same thing with with neck training had it on an iron Whoa. neck I would hold it there. He sent you. Yeah. I was like, I've been doing a lot of jujitsu. My neck will be fine. My neck was fine. I thought it was going to be fucked, but it wasn't. But just like 
40 kilos of eccentric force. It was just like pulling my head and then just stop it. Stuff like that, you know, just playing around with it. Our front, <laughs> our front rowers would love that shit. They love the next yeah. <laughs> Just neck all day on that thing. But yeah, that's crazy. Like some of the stuff you can do with, I mean, these things are not cheap for anyone listening. I mean, no, an so, XFI will set you back five figures and a Quant 1080 will send you back more five figures. <laughs> yeah, we only have a 1080 yet, which wasn't the budget. I had to pick one. So we got three flywheels here. So that'll do the trick. Nice. No, I love that. I love that. No, I think we pretty much we pretty much covered everything on this pod that I wanted to ask you, Travis. Mm-hmm. But where can people find you and follow you? Are you that active on socials any, anymore? Just a little um, bit yeah, of LinkedIn? Yeah, more active. So I've started to get these podcasts out there. So a bit of a work on for the season. Oh, nice. get, get out there a bit more. start to share my knowledge and ideas and experiences and kind of give back a bit. So this is probably my third podcast this month. So we'll keep pushing that. Oh, nice. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. Those are the two main platforms I work off of. All my research is on ResearchGate. If anyone knows that platform, it's where all basically all my sports science, biomechanics research sits is uh, on that platform. So those are the three platforms I work off of, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, and ResearchGate. Perfect. Perfect. I'll link those up in the description too, Travis. But uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. I appreciate the chat, man. It's good to catch up, and maybe I'll see you over there one day. For sure. For sure.